just more of an amen behind it. This isn't my opinion. This is the Bible. We have such a hope. Let's try this one more time. We have such a hope. It's not Jason standing up here telling you that you have hope or you can't have hope. This is what the Bible is saying that we have. We have such a hope. And if you don't believe that, and if you don't know that, and if you don't understand that today, can I be the first to let you know, at least according to this word, which is the truth of God's word, fully disclosed to you and I, you and I have such a hope. You're like, but what about all all the stuff around us? It doesn't say you have such a hope unless stuff is happening around you. Since then, you have such a hope. And because of that, you act with great fear and insecurity. That's actually not what it says. (laughs) You don't know that because it's not up on the screen yet. We act with great boldness, Paul writes. He says, we're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of that which was being set aside, but their minds were hardened. For to this day at the reading of the Old Covenant, that's the Old Testament, right? Different laws and regulations, the same veil remains. It is not lifted for them because it is, it is set aside only in Christ. In other words, what Paul is lining out to us is that the hope that we have in Christ, for many of us, the reason that we don't understand this hope is because we haven't lifted the veil and realized that it's in Jesus. That many of us are still blocked from this, this reality, right? For to this day, The reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It's not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, here it is. This is what we're gonna read today. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Verse 16 is where I wanna pick up. You're gonna see it on the screens. And this is gonna outline our whole series and uh, where we go, honestly, for the next year. We're not doing a year-long series, but I'll I'll explain kind of where we're going as as a church. Does that sound good? 2 Corinthians chapter three, verses 16 through to 18 says this. But whenever a person turns to the Lord... The veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Come on, somebody shout freedom. Freedom. Come on, someone put their kilt on and shout freedom. Freedom. Come on, say it like you're William Wallace. Somebody shout freedom, right? Freedom. What a good movie. Come on. Verse 18, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Today as we, conti- or as we begin this brand new series called Presence and Encounter, I wanna, I wanna speak to you from the subject, the proper way to put on a wetsuit. I wanna speak to you from the subject, the proper way to put on a wetsuit. As we step in to this new space known as 2021, but more importantly, the space that God is calling us into, presence and encounter. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for your grace. I thank you for every single person that sits in this room today. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would just open up our hearts and open up our minds to the word that you have for us today as we sit underneath the counsel of your word. I pray that you would challenge us, you would change us, you would make us new. It's by your grace that you do all of this. I thank you for every single guest in this room today. I pray that they would just feel comfortable, that they'd be able to breathe in this space today as we all come to a place of presence and encounter with you. We pray all these things in in your name, the name which is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Come on, and everybody shouted. Everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. I spent my college years in, in Australia. I lived in Sydney, Australia. 
And uh, I spent a lot of time while I was there doing two things, longboarding and surfing. And it became a hobby of mine, um, probably to the detriment of my uh, biblical knowledge, but it's still all the same. Uh, I spent a lot of time surfing. But I'll never forget the first time uh, I went out with my buddies, and they were teaching me to surf. And, and the surf that we were going to was rather large surf, and, and uh, we were going out further, and we are going to spend a lot of time. So that particular day that I went out, I learned, and I realized in this moment, that I'd never, ever put a wetsuit on in my entire life. Anywhere that I'd been in, in the ocean had been warm at that point. Now, this particular moment, learning to surf, was actually more or less moving into the cold season in Australia. So my buddies said, hey, we're going to be out here a long time. It's going to get cold. You're going to be on the surfboard a long time. You're going to get rash in your chest, the whole nine yards. We want you to put a wetsuit on. I was like, game on. Let's do it. Like, I want to look like a seal today. Come on. And so they gave me the wetsuit believing that I knew how to put a wetsuit on. And then things got really awkward. Because I was standing in the corner about five minutes later trying to yank this wetsuit zipper up on the front of my stomach. Because what had happened was is I had put the wetsuit on backwards and instead of just easily zipping it up from the back like you're supposed to do, here I am jerking on this wetsuit chain trying to zip it up with the wetsuit right around my legs right here, hopping up and down, eventually falling over in my underwear with a wetsuit on. It was the most excruciatingly painful moment of my life as a male. Ego went out the window, pride out the window. Like, come on guys, just for a moment, picture me in a wetsuit trying to, maybe don't, that gets weird. But all the same, my issue was I didn't know how to put on a wetsuit. It was me, stuck in a wetsuit. And no matter how hard I tried, because then there was this other moment that kicked in after my buddies were like, you can't, you can't put it on that way. You have to like get it off of you and put it on the right way. Come on, how many of you know? All the dudes in the house, you know. No, now I'm gonna try to make it happen. And I kept on trying to pull this thing up. And listen, guys, it, would, it wouldn't go up. I don't know if it was a hips issue or whatever the thing was, but I could not get this wetsuit to go on. I had to take it off and I had to put it on properly why do I tell you about my issue with wetsuits? Well, I think that's how many of us, if we're not careful, are going to look moving into 2021. Here's why. Because if we're not careful, we will try to put 2020 on in a way that we shouldn't put it on. This is not a New Year's resolution series that we're going into. I'm not gonna give you seven keys as to how to have a great new year Right? This is not going to be some sort of self-help seminar moment. Today, I want to get us looking forward. Today, I want us to, to gaze towards the future. And as we move into 2021, I have felt quickened, quickened by God to begin the process of getting our hearts and our minds focused forward. In other words, let's not get stuck in 2020. But I think it's a possibility for many of us, oh, the numbers on the calendar will, they'll change and the seasons will progress, but if we're not careful, we will stay stuck at where we have been, much like I was stuck in that wetsuit, not actually putting on this new moment and this new season and this new year the way God has called us to put it on. Yeah. This is not a series of 
of resolutions. It's great to have those. And listen, we're going to have some moments over this next year where we're going to dive into, I'm really excited about some of the content that we're going to move through over these next few months and this next year. And we're going to talk about how to, to form life and to, to build certain principles into our lives and, and, and advance in certain ways. Oh, we're going to walk through that stuff. We're going to walk through uh, liturgical moments and build sacred spaces into our life in ways that we haven't had it built in before. Oh, we're going to go through those things. We're going to talk about the importance of prayer and worship and Bible reading and getting our marriages on track and learning how to be a, a great single and learning how to do man right and learning how to do woman right and all those different things. We're going to learn about making our finances good and how to have healthy lives. But the point is this, that, no, that none of that matters if we're not future focused. None of that actually matters. What you build into your life doesn't matter if there's no direction for it. Come on, somebody. You with me in church today? And so that's what we've gotta, we gotta look at because for many of us, if we're not careful, we can get stuck in what we've been in. For many of us, we don't know how to put on this new year because we're scared of this new year. Some of us are like, just tread softly, Right? I saw, I saw a great meme the other day. They're like, everybody be quiet entering into 2021 so we don't wake it up. <laughs> I was like, that was awesome. Then you come to the well and they're like, shh, call and bring the music down. You're waking up 2021. I'm like, come on, let's wake it up. Why? Because we have a great hope. And people of faith have a great hope. Why? Because my faith doesn't rest in all the things around me. My faith doesn't rest on these temporal things. My faith rests on someone bigger. So I have a great hope. We don't want to get stuck. Every shot, don't get stuck. See, everything that we've experienced this past year does not change what Scripture says to us about having vision and direction for our life. Listen to Proverbs 29, verse 18. This is the ESV version. It says this. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. In other words, here's the Jason version. Where where there is no prophetic vision, the people get nuts. Come on, somebody. How many of us have seen that? When we don't have vision for our life, how many of you agree with me? It gets crazy sometimes. When my kids don't have vision from, from their parents, my house gets wild. How many of you know if we were to wake up and my kids came into the living room and Eric and I just sat there and they were like, hey, so what's today look like? We're like, I don't know, do whatever you wanna do. <laughs> How many of you know my house potentially burns down? <laughs> right, and if you don't know my kids, trust me, that's a truthful statement. <laughs> Why, because there's no vision, we have to set vision. Last night in our house, at our, we have this small little round dining table that sits just off of our kitchen. We had a family meeting. Try having a family meeting with a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 3-year-old. Okay? The 3-year-old had no idea what was going on. She just wanted to keep eating pizza. And we were like, okay. So we sat her in the corner, her little velociraptor self with all of her noises, and then we talked to the other two. We said, hey, we got a new system that's being implemented in the parish household this year because we're laying out prophetic vision for our family. Come on. We're laying out vision. We're not gonna just kind of sit by and let the year happen to us. So we walked in and we said, all right, parish household, this is what's happening. And we started walking through some of the things that Eric and I have been praying about and talking about and believing for in our family. And we're gonna lead our kids in that direction. 
We're going to teach our kids how to Sabbath this year. I know. We'll talk a little bit about that in upcoming series. Mainly because there's a really important part to Sabbath, and that is silence and solitude. <laughs> and the three parents over here were like, amen and amen. 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 <laughs> Where there is no prophetic vision. Come on, church. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. People casting off restraint because there's no vision. And I get it, it's easy to have no vision when everything around us doesn't help us produce that. But here's the amazing thing about people of faith. We don't need what's happening around us or good things happening to us to have prophetic vision. We already have the instruction booklet for it. We must move forward, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation and details, we must move forward. So six months ago, I'm praying. In the middle of 2020, everything happening. So I was like, well, I'm kind of over 2020. Let's just start thinking about 2021. <laughs> God, what do you want for 2021? How do you want us to, to move forward personally and as a, as a church? And this is where this term presence and encounter came from. And I really felt like God laid it on my heart to challenge us as a church to move into what is a life and a faith and a reality of presence and encounter. To be people of presence and encounter. And I know that sounds super open-ended, and my hope is today to lay out some spiritual implications of that, and we're gonna look at this verse that we just read, and we're gonna extract out of it some very important truths that we need to understand. But here's what I'm, I'm gonna do. Today, I'm gonna make a very big ask of this church. Are you with me? Yep. I'm gonna make a very big ask of our entire church, and it's this, that we orient our entire lives and faith around this moment and this movement, presence and encounter. Yeah. I'm asking that we orient our marriages around it. I'm asking that we orient our relationships around it. I'm asking that we orient our jobs and our singleness and our retirement, our table groups and our services, our youth ministry and our kids ministry. I'm asking that when you're walking down the street with your little poodle, that you orient your life around presence and encounter. In our Bible reading, in my washing of dishes, in my straightening the house, presence and encounter. When I am staring at the wall because there's nothing Nothing left to do, presence and encounter. Can every moment of our life be about presence and encounter? Because that's really what it's about, and that's what Paul is suggesting to us in this, in this piece of scripture. And there are four very important words that we need to cue in on in order to understand the weight and gravity of what Paul is writing to the Corinthians and what he's writing to us about what presence and encounter looks like. Because here's the truth. If we're not careful, we can be led to believe that presence and encounter is simply an emotional moment full of feelings and spiritual romance. And in doing so, we miss the life-changing reality of what it is to meet with God. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. What do I mean by, by, by feelings and emotion and spiritual romance? What do I mean by that? Well, for a lot of us, we can come into a place like this and during worship, we think, oh, okay, well, this is just gonna be a series about, about worshiping more and being in, in feelings-oriented moments. No, 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 that would just be a part of it. And my, my, my concern is, is that for many of us, 
We miss the life change that, ha- that God has for us because we're chasing after emotive realities and spiritual romance. And then when the feelings go away, this is why 2020 impacted so many of us because we actually had to wrestle with faith because the feelings went away. It got hard. Come on, somebody. How many of you, it got hard. Sometimes the feelings have gone away. In our marriage, the feelings have gone away sometimes. I know. Did the pastor just say that? Because they're supposed to have all of their life together all of the time. No, sometimes we just kind of travel through life. You got kid hanging on your leg, right? You're having to do life and, and negotiate it. You got a dog killing chickens in the backyard. That just happened. She was horrified. It was awesome. <laughs> He's a bird dog. That's what happens with bird dogs. It's life. Come on, am I talking to anybody today? It's, it's life. And for a lot of us, if our faith is built on always experiencing the emotion of it, the feelings of it, the romance of it, oh, we're missing out on so much of what our relationship with God is. Oh, we'll have those moments. We'll have those moments where we're just asking God like we did in that second song today just to tear down our religion, tear down our tradition. And oh, what a beautiful moment. Just I wanna be free and I wanna, I wanna experience your presence and I wanna experience this beautiful spiritual moment. But then there's other moments where I walk out of this door like we're all going to today and Monday comes. And there's nothing spiritual about Mondays. This, would, this is what would happen to Jacob. In Genesis chapter 32, 34 to 30, it said this, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. But this is what Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked Jacob, or the man asked Jacob, he replied, your name will no longer, this is what happened. This wasn't a feelings oriented moment. It wasn't just this spiritual romance. Watch what happens. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. It wasn't just a grand spiritual moment. There was life change that took place in Jacob. And I don't know about you, can we just make a declaration? How many of you, like me, want life change to take place this year. You want something significant to take place in there. And that's what I wanna lead us in over this next little, little while. See, Jacob would have a moment of presence and encounter, and from it, his life would be marked and changed forever. And literally, if you go on to read that scripture, because of that hip socket issue, like it would be something that would take, take into generations. He had a physical ailment because of his encounter. And I pray, at least principally speaking, that when we encounter God this year, it is done at such an important level that we literally feel changed by it. That there's newness in our lives. So what I wanna do is I just wanna walk through the makeup and the substance of presence and encounter 
by looking at Paul's submission to the Corinthians as he highlights four distinct truths concerning presence and encounter. These are the four truths. Here's the first one. Write this down if you're taking notes today. This is gonna lead us in everything that we do as a church this year. Number one, there is a turning. There is a turning. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. But whenever a person turns, come on over, shout turns. turns. Come on over, shout turns. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The spiritual implications of this truth are massive. There is a turning that needs to take place in each of our lives. This is a decision to follow Jesus. And for some of us in here, we've never actually made that decision. But for others of us in here, we've actually made the decision to follow Jesus, but we've turned to other things. This year I turned to this and I turned to that and I turned to this and I turned away from God as I tried to do it on my own, as I tried to make things work and, and as I kind of rebounded and tried to negotiate life and try to work around things. But today I'm calling us to a moment where we simply say, listen, I am turning to God today. I am leaving everything behind and I'm making a physical turning. It's a hard stop in order to stay and be with Jesus. This requires us to drop what is in our hands and what is in our hearts, what is in our agendas. You fill in the blank. Maybe, maybe look at it this way. For some of us, in order to turn, we've got to slow. We've got to slow. You've got to slow your roll. It's in the Greek somewhere. <laughs> slow your roll. That's our, that's our theme this year, is to slow down. As a family, we're gonna slow down. We're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna talk less. Worship more. We're gonna talk less. Pray more. We're gonna type less. And pray more. We're gonna Instagram less. And we're gonna pray more. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? We're instituting certain things in our household this year. I'm just trying to be like, just candid and transparent with you. There's gonna be a moment in our week where we actually stick our phones in a basket or a locked thing or out in the backyard, wherever we need to put them, and they are off for a 24-hour period. Gone. Why? So we can be present with God and with each other. There has to be a turning. There has to be a moment where we decide to turn and follow God. We'll walk out more of this over the coming weeks and, and, and months. But here's what I've come to realize. One of the greatest reasons that we don't turn is because our hearts are still hardened. I'm gonna keep on doing it my way. Have you ever put so much effort into doing it your own way that you realize that you can't back out of it because you've invested already too much into your own way? I think that's the problem. Can I just give you a little bit of freedom today? It doesn't matter how much investment you've put into your willpower, you can still always turn to God. But you don't understand how much I've put into this relationship. You don't know how much I've put into this business. You don't know how much I've put into you fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what your investment has been into it. Do not allow a hardened heart to keep you in a path of pain. Turn. I love it. Moses was... Shepherding his father-in-law's sheep and he turned. 
when he saw a burning bush. I pray that today this is a burning bush moment for some of us. Over the next 21 days on your seat right here, go ahead and grab these. Like I said, super practical message today. But if you go ahead and take these home with you, we'd love for you to be able to do it because over the next 21 days, starting on January the 11th, we are gonna be entering into 21 days of presence and encounter. And this is for you. We have a digital format as well for our online campus. You've got a digital format if you're not here. Um, but uh, for those of us in the room today, you've got a actual physical book that we've created for you. Uh, my beautiful, wonderful wife created these and uh, she did a stellar job. You're gonna see different, um, uh, different contributions from different people that are gonna help us orient the next 21 days. What we're trying to do is make a turning something practical and something that we can physically do. Does that work for everybody? So we'd love for you to take this home, join us starting January the 11th. This is gonna be a beautiful, beautiful time where we can just step back, slow our roll, and enter into presence and encounter. The first way to do that is there has to be a turning. Number two, there has to be a positioning. Second Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit. Look at this, look at this, I want you to hear this. And where, every shout where? where? Come on, every shout where? And where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's where freedom's at. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, that's where freedom is. God is not found in a location. Rather, we are aware of his location. So some of us right now are like, well, then why go to church? The Bible says that where two or three are gathered, he's in our midst. And where there's, there's unity, there's blessing. But can I tell you, God is on the side of that mountain that you'll probably be climbing in the summertime. God is up at the top of that lift gate. You'll find him there if you make yourself aware. God is in the car rolling down the 15. As long as we make ourselves aware of him. God is in that living room that's a mess right now. God is in the kitchen that needs to be organized. God is in the backyard where it's chaos. God is in the highways, in the byways. He's in our workplaces. He's in our relationships. He's in all of these different places. Here's the problem. Many of us don't sense him and experience him is because we are not aware of it. We're not looking for him. See, now the Lord is the spirit. He's everywhere. And where the spirit of the Lord is, that's where freedom is at. This is what the word where means right here in the Bible. It says to mark an indefinite and unrestricted position. That means God's with you right now. This afternoon when you're hanging out at lunch, he's with you. Come on, does that excite anybody else like it excites me? To know that this is, this is the reality, that the grand moments that we want and, and need to have with Jesus, they don't have to just happen here. That your life every single day can be marked by his presence. It's about creating spaces and places that are unobstructed and therefore creating space for God to be encountered. We have to learn to be aware. I talk about this dog a lot because he's a sense of stress in our house, but I have a German short-haired pointer. He's a beautiful dog, and he's a bird dog, and, and while we're not gonna train him for birds necessarily, I'm starting to realize that I may have to because this is, it, like it's innate inside of this dog. It doesn't matter what we do, he goes after birds. First thing in the morning, we open the door, he bolts out the door. I kid you not, he doesn't lazily walk out the door, he takes off running to this particular side of the yard that is connected to my neighbor's backyard where he can see the geese in his field. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden he starts just, just barking, going nuts because there's these, these birds. 
And then he chases his lines where quail has wandered through our yard. And then he goes to this particular tree that he starts bouncing on his hind legs because there's birds in that tree at times. This dog is psychotic about birds. And after he does all this in about 32 seconds, it's the quickest thing, he stops and he points. And he puts his nose up. And I've watched him do this numerous times. And now he sticks his nose up in the air and he sniffs. Right? And it's actually a really cool sight. It's almost majestic because this dog is like, he's like beefy and strong and, and, and like, I got him because he's just a manly dog. So, and he just stands there. But here's what, here's what I love about the picture. As I was watching him the other day, he was positioning himself in order to smell what it is that he was looking for. And for many of us, we miss God and where he's at, not because he's not anywhere, but rather because we haven't positioned ourselves to sense him. Now, I'm not suggesting you go stand out in the street pointing. (laughs) That would be weird. (laughs) But what I am suggesting is that we figure out how to position ourselves in order to sense him. Eugene Peterson would write in his book, The Contemplative Pastor, Returning to the Art of Spiritual Direction, this amazing truth concerning this issue. Listen to what he says. He says, the assumption of spirituality is that always God is doing something before I know it. So the task is not to get God to do something I think needs to be done, but to become aware of what God is doing so that I can respond to it participate in it, and take delight in it. In other words, God is always moving. I don't have to do something more in order to get him to move. He's already moving. He's God. He said he would always be moving. The question is, is can Devon sense him? The question is, is can Danny sense him? Can Stephen sense him? Can I sense him? Can we sense him? The question is, is can Erica and I, as a married couple, sense him in our marriage? Oh, he's moving. Am I talking to anybody today? Yes. Presence and encounters intentionally positioning ourselves to be aware of God. Here's the third thing. Everybody shout number three. three. There is a beholding. Second Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. We are looking at the glory of the Lord. I love this thought from D.E. Garland as he writes, those who are consumed with their own glory, with pride and boasting, will miss the glory of God revealed in Christ. For it is a peculiar sort of glory, one that radiates from the humiliation of the cross. Here's the truth I want us to grab a hold of today. We give glory to what we constantly gaze upon. As well, we move in the direction of our gaze. So we give glory, you and I give glory to what we are constantly attached to and gazing upon. I got, a, I got a notification, I talked about this last week, it was down last week. My phone screen time was up 18% today. I got my thing. Your screen time is up 18%. Ah! That's how I felt inside. Because I was getting ready to preach this today with this point right here. I give glory to what I gazed upon. Come on, somebody. I just gave glory to Google. Instagram got my, my gaze, and it got some 
glory. Come on, my Facebook was given more glory than it should have been given. And then I moved in the direction of it. Have you ever been there before? Because of what popped up on your phone, that came in the inbox, what it is we saw on TV, all of a sudden I moved in the direction of it. And maybe you're like, well, I didn't walk somewhere. No, 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 but your mood changed because of it. Your mindset changed because of it. Your heart set changed because of it. Come on, anybody been there or am I just talking about me? So in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Homer, he put it like this, because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. That bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good and beautiful and true in his world, but not for those of us who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the nonstop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation and cultural drivel, as if we give it in the first place, much of it is stolen by a clever algorithm out to monetize our precious attention. But again, we become what we give our attention to for better or for worse. We read this book, it's changing some of our mindsets. See, I've come to realize that most of what we give our attention to hardens our heart towards the one we should give our attention to. To behold, to behold God. We're gonna talk about this more. We're gonna jump into beautiful moments with Moses as he would behold the glory of God and the Bible would tell us that his face would literally change because of it. Could you imagine that because you spent so much time with God, he literally radiated off of you? Could you imagine if it was like, oh, that person's been with God? I hope that when we leave this service today, someone around us goes, oh, there's something different about you today. Why? Because we've decided presence and encounter. Presence and encounter. I wanna meet with God. I wanna behold him. And here's the fourth and final one. There is a transforming that takes place. There is a transforming. 2 Corinthians 3.18 and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is not because of what you and I do. It is from the Lord who is the Spirit. I heard it said like this once, and it's changed everything about how I do life and faith. And it's this. One author said it like this. We can never encounter God and remain unchanged. Can I be your pastor today? Come on, I need your permission. Can I just challenge us today? Some of you are like, nope, I don't know. I don't know if I want you to do that. One of the reasons that we remain unchanged is because we had an emotional moment with God, not an encounter. You cannot encounter God and remain unchanged. I can have an emotional moment with him. Oh, the worship was beautiful. I love that song. Rachel was on key today and just nailing it, and it was awesome. She hit the highest note ever, and my heart just was, oh, exploding because of how beautiful it was. 
Devon was just like buttery voice and everything was great. And Tim's guitar playing, he did that guitar solo. And just with that and the people singing and Devon and butter and heart exploder over here, it was, oh, amen. (laughs) He had an emotional moment. Great. I've had them too. But I've had emotional moments listening to Pearl Jam. Come on. Some of you are like, that's impossible. No, it's very possible. Because music will touch our hearts. I had an emotional moment because you said something that, that struck me deep. Man, well, maybe I articulated something with a, with a certain nuance and a, and a, and a certain word that, that hits you in a certain way. And that's great. You had an emotional moment with you connected with it. But I need, us to, I need us to decipher the difference between an emotive moment and an encounter moment. And this is the difference between the two. Emotional moments may cause tears and it may cause butterflies and it may cause feelings, but an encounter will cause change. Presence and an encounter will make you different. It will shift your mindset. It will change your heart. It will awaken your soul. Your heart will be set ablaze. Why? Because you encountered God. That's the difference. So I can just tell you that this church right now, the well, we're not trying to produce emotional moments. We're trying to create space for an encounter. I want to encounter God. Do you? 2021, cool. You can start your workout program. You can change your eating. You can get that promotion. You can start dating that person. You can change career paths. Oh, we can do all the things that we want to. You could retire. You could start that business. And there are so many books to help you along the process. What I need us to understand today is that this is not a message of resolution. This is a message of presence and encounter. This is who we need to be as a people. When I meet God, that is where everything changes. Because I'll tell you, some of us have done our willpower thing and nothing changed, but one moment in the presence of God can change everything. And that's my hope for us today. That's my hope for us tomorrow. That's my hope for us this entire year. So as we say this and spray this everywhere we go, literally, we have little presence and encounter cans. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. That's weird. Wherever we find ourselves, presence and encounter. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me in the house and online today. I wanna take us back to point one because this is such an important reality for us today. The Bible says that when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. For some of us today, We're in this place, we're online, and we've turned to the Lord. We said yes to Jesus. But maybe this year, through circumstance and situation,